Mustang, it's broadcast. I know you can hear me right now. Your radiation tracker is on a ship 300 kilometers from Lycos, but I know you're still there. What are you on about? Mustang, I'll say it again. What are you playing at? Slag this. Several, she's not on the ship. She's still in Lycos. Something is wrong. You better get back fast, like. Who knows what kind of spoilers we're dealing with here. One of my furies led me to suspect the sons of Ares are perhaps something different than we imagined. Mortals who die a thousand times. Then let us rise together. I the scepter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. How's it going? It's going prime, my goodman. You gave me a nice little smile when I said, This is my good friend Jeremy. <laughs> I like being called your good friend. Yeah, you're not a host, you're a good friend. Thank you. I don't want to be a host. I don't often refer to us as hosts. We're just good friends. That's just it. That's it. We're just That's all it needs to be. A conversation. Yeah, exactly. That's all that Hail Reaper is. This is part one of our season finale this episode today and next week will be the end of season two We're, we did it it's crazy it's nuts it's already here i can't believe it it seems like it flew by it did it was like what 10 12 weeks that we did this over somewhere in there and um yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be coming up with more content soon we're actually not gonna go away with like we did the end of last season where we kind of disappeared for the greater part of three months because i was having a baby so that kind of needed to happen. And just a lot of things. Christmas time was around. It just was kind of a, a really busy time. But Jeremy and I and Mathar, we, we're going to be back pretty soon after that that season finale. We're not going to be just disappearing off the radar. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm glad we're going to be kind of following it up with some things. And ultimately, I just can't wait to get into um, Morningstar. Oh, dang. I'm so excited for Morningstar season three. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. For now, we're going to be living inside the gala today. So let's go. Let's do it. visit the gala scene, the one thing I'm so impressed by is that Pierce Brown just built this protagonist, Darrow, to be such an incredible character. And inside the gala, chapters 11 and 12 of Golden Sun, you just see the amalgam of all that Darrow is. You see his intelligence, you see his cunning, you see his audacity, you see his savagery. And on top of that, you see his compassion. And within all of that, inside all that too, you see and feel and experience how lost he is. Because you said this at the beginning of our season, Daryl is a lost soul in this book. Yes. And that 
does not escape, not in this scene even. Like he's still struggling and searching to find his identity and who he is. But Pierce Brown puts everything on display, all within the confines of just these two chapters. And it's something, it's the single note that resonates with me the most when I visit the gala. And it's a scene that I I put on on my audiobook all the time just to get pumped because I love it. I love being here. I love being with this character. I love the experience of the gala as a reader. What's that singular thing for you? Like, what do you kind of go back to? What draws you into the gala scene? Yeah, I like the way you put that. I, I really think Darrow is an amalgam. I think if you look at all these lessons he's learned up to this point, such characters as Dancer or EO or Mustang have taught him up to this point, this is what he moves forward in. And you asked me how I would put it, and I would echo that, but I would put it in coming into his own. Mm-hmm. At first, he really is a product of these other people. He's he's living out EO's dream. He's acting out Mustang's strategy, and he's really an Ares soldier. It's only in this moment does he actually take the helm. He starts driving that ship in another direction, and he judges that situation for himself, decides that this is not the best course of action, and he mm-hmm. becomes the shot caller in this moment. And this is, I, I, I feel, in my opinion, this is the first time he really does that and really becomes the shot caller and really just starts driving it in his own uh, superior way. It's interesting. You brought up Dancer. I, I didn't expect you to, but I actually have a note here for myself that I wanted to bring up Dancer. And it's something I hypothesized back in, I think the third episode we ever did of Hail Reaper was about Dancer. And we were talking about Dancer's best quotes in the first book. And I, I love I love Dancer. Everyone that listens to Hail Reaper should know that is a character I have a lot of affinity for. But he has this quote that still resonates with me. And I feel like it's really true here. And I, again, I hypothesize on that episode, if Dancer didn't say this in Red Rising, would we have got a different outcome here? And that quote is something to the effect of, I'm paraphrasing, an empire cannot be destroyed from without till it's destroyed from within. Mm. What if that wasn't spoken? What if that wasn't something that Darrow internalized and learned? We might have had a completely different outcome in this specific scene. But that's who Darrow is, and that's what Pierce Brown is doing. He's connecting the old red Darrow to this new gold Darrow. And you can kind of see this bridging, these gaps that are kind of going all the way back to the very beginning of book one. Absolutely. And they're coming together in this uh, golden sun era of this book, or this story, excuse me. And now Darrow is having to use something different. What he's used his entire time, his entire journey is his rage. His rage is the thing that fuels him to go forward and to push. And now he has to use his lessons. And he also has to use focus. It's something that Darrow doesn't do very well. Like, um, (laughs) honestly, like he's not a perfect character. He's, He's kind of flawed at times. And the one flaw he has is that the focus that he's always had is through EO or through Mustang. But now he's doing this alone. And so he can't use them as the proxy focus. He has to do it all internally. I love that you get a different spin on this character we've had so far. It's not about emotion anymore. It's about mm. that focus and that drive and harnessing it and pushing through. And like that, again, is one of the things I love so much about Darrow in this scene. Yeah, you really do get to experience just that that mental anxiety and that stress that is really pushing on him as he waffles in his mind mm-hmm. as to whether or not he needs to move forward. To your point, with rage and blow up, what is it, 2,000 of- 2,000 peerless. Yeah, of the elite peerless. And he ultimately obviously decides, as we've been talking about, not to do that. You know, in my mind, I actually think that although 
you know, Darrow is completely autonomous in this moment, thinking through his own logic. I actually think that that Mustang is the one that that tips him over the point. I'm not saying she changes mind completely, but if you read through, it isn't until he really sees her and, and goes through the mental anguish mm-hmm. of uh, of realizing that she's with Cassius and being kind of prodded on by Carnus in this moment that he really makes the decision not to do it. And I think to back up my point, I'd actually take you to some really interesting dialogue that that Pierce writes. Do it. So he he writes. And this is in context of if he decides to blow it up, Victra vanishes, Cassius evaporates, Augustus melts, Carnus dissolves, and Mustang dies. It's amazing these words, vanishes, evaporates, melts, dissolves. These are like, I mean, vanishes, Victra, you know, they're kind of friends or homies at this point, so hey, it's yeah. not such a bad word. But evaporates, melts, dissolves, these are like disrespectful. These are violent terms. These are aggressive terms mm. used for for that. But the one he uses for Mustang is dies. That's like a dignified word, I think, when compared to the other words. And you really see that he still sees Mustang in this lineage, like we've talked about her in context of Eo. His original love, going back to the Red Mines, extends through Mustang as a proxy. And you just still see this connection and this ultimate love that I believe tipped him over the edge and just keeps him from being allowed to kill her. I was thinking yesterday, I was skateboarding around uh, the local college here and (laughs) I was like listening to this on audiobook, and I'm thinking, what if he blew everyone up? What if he did that? What if he just said, break the chains and, and the Pegasus bomb explodes and 2,000 people just die in a second? Like they vanish, they melt, they disintegrate, they dissolve, all those those more vulgar terms rather than permits like death. Like aside from a shorter series? <laughs> a shorter series for certain. Yeah. But what if it happened? What if he did it? And I was thinking it would go so against who Daryl was built to be by his teachers, by Eo, by Mustang, and by Dancer. And Dancer says, we're empire breakers, not terrorists. To blow everyone up is a pure terrorist act. That's all it is. That's all it is, is just being a terrorist. But to change and to pivot is to be an empire breaker, to go in and create that civil war, create that discord that permeates gold from this point forward is a much harder decision but it's worth doing because Dancer, again, is this teacher that taught him, this is how we do things. We don't just blow things up. That's against the grain of what we're about. But what if he did? What if he took that terrorist path? I think what you end up is a much lonelier story. You don't get to tell a man his family. You never see Victor's arc. You never see the the push and pull dynamics between Adrius, Mustang, Roke. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, all just, they all just go with it. And then essentially what happens is this story is basically Daryl on the run from the remaining peerless because there's still thousands out there and that's all it is. And he's just trying to cobble together friends to help with that as opposed to using the friends that he already has, allies he already has, people that are around him that care about him and love him are already there with him. Victor is already there. The Telemannus family is already quick and ready to serve and to be a part of his army. Like it just would be, it'd be depressing. And you're right, it would be a much shorter story too, but it is Mustang. It always goes back to her. Everything flows from her. The atmosphere changes as soon as she's seen by Daryl in that room. He goes and takes that break and has to recollect everything that's on the line that moment. So it's Mustang is just a great character. I know she's your favorite <laughs> character, but she just unlocks she something. Her presence just alone unlocks something in Darrow 
that is so fantastic. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and what you say, that is why she is my favorite character is moments like this. You know, I, I always envisioned it as a bit of a suicide bombing, but I, I suppose it kind of is unsaid where uh, he could have some sort of timing mechanism and get out of there. But there's also a chance that he would have been right in that explosion and the entire series would have ended right then and there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's go and talk about the most exciting part of this whole gala scene after the break. Hail Reaper is brought to you this week by Terigian Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Terigian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. The great thing about Terigian Law is that there's no double speak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Just call 559-627-5399 or visit terigianlaw.com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com or call 559-627-5399. Tarigian Law. The advice you need minus the BS. Jeremy, at the top of the episode, we're pretty much just inside chapter 11, but now we're going to transfer into chapter 12, blood for blood. This is the scene in which we get the duel, the infamous duel. If you talk to someone about Red Rising and maybe like you're just finding out, like, hey, you've read that book before, or you read that series before, this is one of the first scenes that people usually reference with you is the duel between Cassie and Darrow. And it's exciting. It's, it's freaking so well-written and it's just so fun to be inside of. Uh, for you though, what's the thing that like really kind of sets you off? What what takes you there? Yeah, the gala is certainly a favorite, and for good reason. The gala to me isn't just about the amazing action. It just it it is those things. It's it's an amazing sword fight. It it is Darrow stomping around and breaking things, but there's also just this amazing tightness and this strain that's built up by Darrow. You have to realize that we already talked about how he's choosing a different path. He's not blowing it all up, but instead he's dismantling from within and trying to reform society to build something better. He does it through kind of this stressing relationships of major characters. I mean, this is by far not the easy way to go No, uh, because he's supposed to rise through society by making alliances and being kind of brought to the forefront by those alliances, by those figures of power. And in this moment, he's kind of dashing all of that and choosing a different path. If you think about figures like Octavia, right? I, I like the call to Octavia because in the lift, they talk about politics and Nero says, everything is politics here on Luna. Mm. And then he goes to Octavia and he starts playing politics. He actually starts setting up the Oracle game before it even happens here and backing Octavia into a corner by forcing her to say certain things, to turn on certain allies 
and to make relationships awkward amongst these families. Uh, if you look at Sons of Ares, you know, he's an agent of them, and yet, as far as he's concerned, he's defying their orders completely. Yeah, he's stepping out. He also has another alliance with Adrius, and he's double-crossing him in this moment. This is not what they talked about. And he even looks over to him, and he's actually, I think he's surprised that he gets the nod of affirmation mm-hmm. to go forward. I think he he's looking for this look of disdain from him. Another character we, we see in this moment is Pliny. And this character... Oh, he's not, Pliny. Oh, Pliny. He isn't talked you are about. so insufferable. I'm sorry. I have to, <laughs> I have to put my... Oh, I hate this character so much. Top, Everybody does, Top I think. five least favorite character, hands down, in that yes, top five. absolutely. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. No, it's a, it's a good call. And I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of people feel that. But even with those same emotions, you have to acknowledge that Pliny is very powerful. Yes. He is in the ear of one of the most powerful people in all of society. And with that, with all those games he plays, comes a ton of power. And Darrow is slapping him across the face in this moment. Mm. and defying him and his plan to not assume that these, this conspiracy will actually grow and that he will have a, a hit or you know some sort of death call out on his head from Pliny himself would be foolish to, to think that's not going to happen. And I think my favorite in this moment mm-hmm. is Mustang because Darrow is, I think, ultimately giving her up in this moment. Mm-hmm. He he loves her that much. It's like, do you love her enough to let her go kind of thing? It's It's a trope that's a little gooey, but that's okay. He knows that she's going to revile him for these actions uh, right in this moment. And in order to meet his end goal, he does it anyway. And I, I really do think, I know it doesn't end that way, which is fantastic. I'm glad. But yeah. I think he, he's kind of like, you know what? The dream, the goal, and what I need to get done to free the Reds is more important than Mustang's love. So I can just let her go in this moment. And I think, obviously, we can just do this about every single character. But the point here is that each individual character, it almost seems like the wrong move he's making. But it's really just the harder move he's making in order to achieve the right goal in the end. You and I see the duel very differently. Um, You see it with all these, like, kind of, like, you see it as politics is basically what you said. If I were to sum up what everything you just said, which is great, by the way, (laughs) the duel is politics. And and Darrow is playing that political game within with in a duel to the death which is insane but that's who darrow is darrow is is, he's full of audacity and he's just willing to just go for it when i go in and i'm inside this chapter and i'm in chapter 12 and i'm reading it or listening to it either way i just get super pumped and i'm just like this is awesome and i revert back to a kid I revert back to feeling like I'm like watching like an old Disney movie or reading uh, my parents are reading me a story time, like bedtime story of like the hero versus the hero's ultimate rival. And it's just a badass sword fight. That's all I need it to be. (laughs) I don't need it to be anything else. I just want it to be fun and engaging and like merciless and crazy and chaotic and savage. And that's what Darrow is. He steps up this game. It's so funny though, how Darrow's external actions don't match his internal dialogue with you, the reader at this point, like he's kind of telling you the reader or kind of to himself, obviously that, you know, he's like, I don't really want to do this, but this is just the mask I have to put on in order to sow chaos and discord and create the civil war. And he's like, just a little bit longer. He's even reminding himself a little bit longer, (laughs) like push more buttons here to make this explode eventually. So like, I'm going to drag this out and make it, um, 
kind of like a, a show, essentially. That's what he's doing, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, and you were hinting toward this, but he does. He laments the character that he's having to play in this moment. He doesn't want to be that bad guy, but he ultimately knows the necessity of it. And this is, again, we like to do this, but we point out the, the brilliance of Pierce and in, in his writing because it is politics. It is family strife and that fighting for power. And it fulfills that for me. But at the same time, it's a freaking fun sword fight. Yeah. And it fulfills that. And they're 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 standalone, but they also work in conjunction with each other. And that's I don't think that that would be easy to do. I certainly could never do it. It hits on all those levels and it gives you that deeply visceral feeling of, you know, watching an old Disney fairy tale kind of thing where it's like the hero versus the rival. And then there's also it's like there's a tapestry of politics at play all at once. Mm -hmm. And just it's really cool. Exactly. So well executed. That's why when you connect with someone over Red Rising or at least the original trilogy, this is one of the first things that comes up. This is it's just these two chapters and especially the duel itself. It's Cassius versus Darrow. Like what could be greater than that at this point in the story? Nothing. Nothing could be better than that at this point in the story. I want to do something a little different than we normally do. I want to pivot to kind of talking about some individual quotes and individual moments because within this greater scene, there's so much to explore or talk about. And I just want to highlight like a a quote and a moment, a piece, and just kind of talk about those just briefly. So Jeremy, what's your favorite quote from this entire kind of gala like scene? All right. So my favorite quote is Julia Albalona. And uh, (laughs) I just laughed. Oh my gosh. I know. I I was like, wait, what? And I I love it in the audio book. I like, I love the voice that TGR gives Julia, especially in this moment when she yells, kill him, kill him now. And for me, I immediately think of this great parallel to uh, the David and Goliath story. I mean, here you have the Philistine Goliath calling to the Israelites to send their greatest champion. They're going to settle this, these two clans warring. Uh, without a whole lot of casualties, just by putting forth their two greatest champions, just like Darrow and just like Cassius. Yeah. It's a winner-take-all kind of thing. I mean, they're basically saying that that the winner between Philistine and uh, Israelite, the other one will be subjugated in slavery to that clan. I, I think there's a good parallel here. I mean, it's not immediate subjugation, but you're, you're again, that's what gold society is. It's, it's, I have power over you. I have authority and I'm above you. Mm. And that's really what they're warring for here. And just like in the story of David and Goliath, the second David beheads Goliath and it's over, uh, instead of going, okay, well you win, I guess, I guess we're slaves. <laughs> nope. It erupts into chaos, right? Yeah. They start jamming. It turns into like the original war it was supposed to be. And the moment when Julia yells, kill him, kill him now, it, it's it's a very similar thing. I mean, they're supposed to have this great sword fight with these rules and honor, but the second it ends, it's like, nope, the circle closes in. It's just a brawl. And I, I love it. Dissolves into chaos. Okay. So my favorite moment from that, shout out to my guy, Tactus. Oh boy. Oh dude. I <laughs> This is so graphic, but it just, it, oh, it feels goodness. so good because Cagney Albalona earlier in the story is just insufferable and she uh, gets cut clean in half by Tactus um, when they're kind of charging against each other. Is she in the bottom five with Pliny? Uh, no, she's not. She's not in the book enough to be in the bottom five. But okay. she right. she is kind of a douche for sure. But she's just but she's barely there. So I can't I can't say she's bottom five. I do like the parallel that you created with David and Goliath. I think that's incredibly apt. I says, as far as a favorite quote for me, I have two. But I, I actually left it up to this last second. 
to figure out which one I, I was going to want to talk about more. But I think I'm more in line of this one. Even in the midst of my rage, I feel shame, feel the horror of being the man who comes from the dark to savage a family. It's just mm. Darrow's internal dialogue. And again, it's funny because in this moment, you wouldn't ever describe Darrow as a compassionate person, but in a way he is like, he's feeling shame. That emotion that's being expressed by him internally is not matching again, his outward kind of nature of, you know, just hacking Cassius like slowly and just making him look like a moron. And then also there's this one moment and I love when Darrow does this. He does this a couple times in the series. He maniacally laughs while he's actually doing something that's just crazy like he's like i'm laughing i'm laughing madly as he's just nailing cassius like and making his aegis yeah. explode because he hits it so hard with his razor his aegis explodes but in conjunction with that you also have a character that's saying i feel bad about this <laughs> it's like mm, yeah. who is this person like this person is so duality. real yeah because that's what people are they're they're full of duality they're full of uh facets they're not just one note and kind of goes back to my original point of like what I love so much about the gala is I like spending time with Darrow. And this is, this is the scene that I get so much of him and so much sides of him. And that quote kind of unlocks everything there too. Jeremy, let's talk about your favorite single moment of the gala scene. What's that? I think this one I may share with quite a few people. Hmm. It's Darrow in low grav, jumping 30 feet, landing on the table, crushing plates under boot, and it climaxes in knocking over the wine decanter into Cassius's lap. This is great, and it kind of harkens back to, you know, throw politics aside, and, and it's pure action, it's pure fun. It shares some of that staccato mm. rhythm. It's like staccato light, because it doesn't do it a whole lot, but there are some words in there where, he, where, uh, where Pierce writes Darrow's dialogue in that manner. You just start feeling that anxiety, that pressure build, you have your pulse. You start feeling it in your temple right alongside with Darrow as he walks over there. And I, I think at the same time as just being fun, it just continues to show uh, frailty, the same frailty of the gold society that we talked about in a previous episode, which, by the way, on listening to this multiple times, I realized that Pierce actually uses the word frailty in this passage as well. Mm. If golds really are these elite beings that have been perfected through hundreds of years of genetics and natural uh, selection, uh, they shouldn't be bothered by such small slights, right? Yeah. I mean, when I think about it, it's like, who cares if someone kicks over some wine into your lap? Do you really have to start a war between houses because you've been slighted so slightly? And it, it makes- Slighted so slightly, huh? Yeah, that's not a <laughs> great way of putting it, I suppose. <laughs> but it actually takes me back to thinking about Romeo and Juliet with the Montagues and the Capulets. Mm. And the same kind of thing happening over a scene where someone bites their thumb at the other one and they're they're kind of just throwing these jabs and it's like, it's the equivalent of flipping somebody off, right? And it's just yeah. like, really? Someone gives you the bird, so you're going to start a house war? It's <laughs> kind of immature and ridiculous. And that's your favorite moment, not because of Darrow's actions, but because of how frail everything is? It's both. I mean, Darrow's actions are fun. There, there is that element to it. But again, we talk about that duality, right? Pierce being able to write both sides of it. I, in this scene, I appreciate both sides coming together yeah. of just showing how ridiculous gold society is. And at the same time, just the badassness of Darrow. <laughs> I love that badassness. 
Um, for sure. That's a, it's a great moment. It's, it's a highlight of the scene. The speech that he gives is amazing and fun. And mm. the command that he has over the room of 2,000 yes. peerless elites. He's like, may I have your attention? And he's like, do <laughs> I have your attention? And it's like, and he, and he even says internally, yes, I do. Like he knows it, like he gets it. <laughs> yeah. And it's it goes back to that audacity that Daryl has that, does any other character have what he has in that moment? Or like, I mean, I don't know. Several probably comes the closest. Several comes really close in a few moments. But, but, but I think Daryl owns it. Yeah, he has that. He has something that no other character can really do. I want to talk about my favorite moment from this whole scene. Do, yes. Okay, this is this is the big one. Are you guys ready? You guys aren't ready. <laughs> okay. I think most people usually love this and they love the satisfaction it grants them. I mean, it's a quote. I got to read it because it doesn't do justice just to talk about it. My whip coils around his extended right arm. I press the button that makes the razor contract. And with the sound of a frozen tree branch cracking in winter, I claim the sword arm of Cassius Albalona. Yes. The satisfaction that I had, I was throwing air punches. <laughs> I just was so amped by this. And I felt the weight of Daryl lift in a moment. The blood feud that Cassius initiated back at the last day of the Institute. That was a year and a half ago, almost to this point. And for me as a reader, it had only been a week, but I felt that year plus along with Daryl. I was waiting for that revenge because as we all know, Cassius stuck him in the stomach with the iron blade and almost killed him. And when Daryl returns to House Mars at the end of Red Rising, he wants to hug Cassius. Now he's here, not necessarily doing this because he wants to. Regardless, he gets that satisfaction. And for us readers, it was so deeply gratifying. We get the tree branch snapping in half, the <laughs> arm just completely falling off. And it's his sword arm. That means a lot. Yeah, it's so much better that it's his right arm. But as much as I love this moment, it doesn't pay off the way you might want it to. Because Cassius still lives. And what I wanted in that moment I wanted Cassius to die. I wanted the blood feud to be over. I wanted that revenge for Darrow. But that's not what Golden Sun is. This war that's happening right here in this gala scene, this pure moment of chaos, where you're experiencing houses hunt and kill each other. Bologna and Augustus are now rushing forward. Cagney gets cut in half. Leto dies and it becomes this deadly game of hide and seek. But instead of children, warriors with deadly swords. It becomes strange and unfamiliar and gross. Because this book isn't about those victories. Golden Sun doesn't offer you a lot of that. Every little win that you think you get actually leads to more hardship. And it leaves Daryl searching. And the gala creates all these insane push and pull dynamics with the surrounding characters. With Roke, Mustang, Adrius, Nero, and so many others. Golden Sun is not about victory. Golden Sun, in one word, is tension.
前に。